Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers and for anyone who wants to write more, better and be happier while they do it. Listen... I've got so many things to talk to you about today. I've got so many things. I wanted to record an episode. I want to get as much down as I can before I run out of time and my daughter comes home and I've got to, which is a great, you know, don't get me wrong. I don't want to make out that like being a dad is a burden. It's not. It's a wonderful privilege, but I'm just saying I'm I'm on the clock, which is probably a good thing, right? Probably going to um, enforce some much needed discipline on my otherwise kind of like floppy and un untethered uh, rants at you. Um, I've got myself a cup of coffee. I'm super happy at the moment. I'm also like slightly nervous. I've just like, you, I want to, there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk about to you today. And that's why I'm recording like one of these episodes that is kind of, I guess, comes under the rubric of a writing ramble because it's not planned. It's not scripted. I just want to talk to you. I really enjoy recording these. The last one I recorded seemed to go down really well. I have got um, a couple of uh, first page critiques coming up that I'm going to record and and do because I want to do those. I know that a lot of people have been saying those are ones that they enjoy. And I know like some of you enjoy the uh, discuss the Q and A's as well. Me chatting to authors. I- I've recorded a couple of those that I'm really really proud of actually. Um, even though it's not me who's doing the good talking, um, but. And and I've also, I should say, it's really been useful to have your feedback, your emails and stuff. I read all of them. And to sometimes realise that just sort of raw downloads is not the only is not the only metric for dis- for working out how well an episode goes, because like some episodes uh, don't get as many uh, downloads and listens as other ones. But actually, they are doing something different that other episodes weren't. And for a few of you guys out there, you're like, whoa, oh, this is this is my jam. This is what I wanted to hear. And it isn't quite like the others. And I can't go anywhere else to get this. Doesn't matter that it wasn't necessarily the most listened to because the people who were tuning in and listening to that one tuning in. No, tuning in. Nobody tunes in anymore. Well, it's I mean, it's a it's a lovely anachronism, isn't it? Tuning in. But those of you who choose chose to tune in to download in uh you know, it was it was something different. It was for you. And not everything has to be going for kind of like the broadest audience. Otherwise, I'd be doing, I don't know what kind of podcast this would be if I was trying to go for a, a wide audience. But I'm trying to actually do something that doesn't exist already. And uh, I've gone into a weirdly self-justifying uh, spiral down a uh, a toilet of my own mate. Well, I'm going to stop circling the plug hole and, and reverse and just say, look, today I want, there's a few things I want to talk to you about. I want to talk about my book um, just briefly. Well, probably not briefly if we're being honest, but um, I want to talk you through that process a little bit and how it's going with the kind of pre-orders and stuff because I've been saying in front of the last few episodes, I've been going, oh, gosh, I should say thank you to people, but I can't, haven't got their names in front of me. I still haven't got your names in front of me. I've looked through some stuff. I, I just am crap at holding on to messages. Um, I've got some of the people I can say thank you to who pre-ordered. And I want to talk through some of that a little bit. I don't expect you to give a shit <laughs> about my book coming out. I know people go, oh, I've got, I just got, actually, I did just get, they just sent me the cover today, the final cover of the book. And I am excited. I do realise it's quite easy to be a bit jaded about other authors going, oh, here's my cover. It's like, yeah, it's a cover of a book. Give a shit, like I've seen once before, which is an awful thing to think, right? Because it's they're like the culmination of someone's dream, and this is mine. And suddenly, like, like now it's my wedding. I'm like, oh, yeah, weddings are pretty cool, right? I can see why they're inherently meaningful. 
But I just think it might be useful for you to kind of like hear some dispatches as I'm going through the process of getting a book out because this might be you at some stage and it'll be useful for you to just sort of like know what it's like and, and, and honestly what it's like, not in the kind of like outward facing performance we do of having a book out where you kind of focus on the good things and you focus on the reasons people should buy it because you are trying simultaneously while talking about it to maintain a public image that makes people buy units right so like i want to just do that because when i do these unscripted i just lack the um i i I lack the oratory talents and the uh, guile to uh to hide my true feelings so my i've got a very kind of like leaky face in terms of emotions i know this is only audio but i think my voice i'm not a master of disguise so i can talk about these things and i probably haven't thought about it enough to actually um lie to you i've got a I did a panel. I did a maybe we'll start here. Actually, I did a writing panel at the weekend, and I've hardly ever done been on a panel for writing and publishing things, which is fair enough. I've only had one actual novel out. I've had a memoir out as well and a poetry book, but there's no reason why out of all the many people in the UK and beyond that people would invite to do panels they would get old Timmy C. Just because I fancy myself as an authority on. Uh, on writing because I've like set up my own weird pirate radio station where I go, you should listen to me. I kind of, I feel a bit like an authority because I present myself as one and then people respond to me as if I am. But actually there's no reason why I'm not sure, you know, like maybe I just have a certain level of oral fluency that creates a kind of rhetorical authority in what I say. But, um, Actually, on paper, there's no real reason to trust me over some like a rando in the street. Anyway, look, not that I'm look. I've, I and I must admit, like I, I've not, I've only been to one like convention in my life. This is kind of like a genre thing with science fiction and fantasy. I'm not wholly sort of sure I even really understand what a con is. I certainly would have to go to one properly and go for a, a weekend to see. Um, and I kind of I. I I do sort of read about authors being on panels and answering audience questions and talking about their work and feel a, a, like a pang of, if not quite envy, but kind of like a wistful, like, oh, that sounds nice to sort of just be sitting there and going, this is what I think. But actually getting asked to do one um, at the University of East Anglia on uh, writing and careers and actually only because another panellist had dropped out. I wasn't their first choice. Um I suddenly was shitting myself and I thought, oh God, I don't feel comfortable doing this. I feel like I'm going to make a make a pillock of myself. Um, but I went to do it. And one of the questions that was asked at the end by the audience, and I, I think actually one of the things it made me realise about myself is I, I've got a bit, I've actually got a little bit sort of comfortable having this format. And being able to just like talk for ages with nobody interrupting me, which is awful, isn't it? But I was like on the panel and there's like a moderator and then two other people. And I was like, you know what? I just feel like maybe if these other people (laughs) weren't on stage, I'd kind of like, I want my like 10 minutes to warm up. Maybe I could tell a few jokes, you know, uh, express some vulnerability to get the audience on side so they don't hate me. And then I can launch into some kind of like big spiel and, and kind of like start moving towards the kind of like moving this boulder up the hill. 
And then I'll, I'll like bring it home with some examples. I'll, I'll drop some data on them because I, I, you know, because of doing the show and because of speaking to people like Chris McCrudden when he came on the show and came out with all this kind of like great stats about like the bestsellers of last year because I talked to authors and I've got specific quotes from them and stuff straight from the horse's mouth and I can I don't have to just appeal to my own authority I can say well this is what such and such an author said when I speak to authors this is what they say I can talk about my own experience as well I was I've spoken to neuroscientists now, so I can start like pulling out this left field stuff where I'm like going, okay, well, here's the data from across the floor. I was like super excited and then I felt, I must admit, this is so, like, I and I, I'm aware that this is like a, a like a dickish thing, but I was just like, hang on, <laughs> I'm gonna, what if, what if someone says something on stage I don't agree with? How am I gonna, I'm just gonna sit there? Like, of course you are, Tim. Like, like it's a panel, right? And say, so I immediately, and then I was, ne- but then I was also nervous. What if I say stuff and it's like not very good or very interesting or it's like useless? What if I look like a pillock? And of course, that's what a lot of that kind of like slightly resentful stuff is, is just like wanting to control my environment. It comes from being anxious, right? And going, I want total control over this stage. Not because I'm a megalomaniac, or maybe that is exactly why megalomaniacs are megalomaniacs, right? Maybe they're just. Maybe it's just a form of agoraphobia, right, megalomania? You just want a, you want a radical diffusion of fear where you want to control everything. But I certainly, I think, from having, you know, done done one-man shows for years where you've got that black box space, you know, there's like 150 people there in a, uh, in like a lecture theatre. I, I, I want to be able to, I don't want to really be in a chair. I want to be able to prowl up and down talking to people, reacting to people, getting people to sort of say something, give me stuff to react to, but I want to be in control and, 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 and sort of uh, riding pillion in that situation um, made me nervous. I, I, you know, I want to be clear, my like, fellow panellists and uh, the moderator, Henry Sutton, were uh, brilliant, articulate, humane, uh, much more experienced than me, said sensible uh, things, uh, came out with loads of good advice. Like, I... I it, that was you know there was that they were great like they were they were you know they were probably better than me all of them um but what i'm getting the point i'm getting to aside from the fact i'm just working through some shit just using this as therapy is at the end somebody said what advice would you give to anyone who is sort of like wants to show their work to someone else wants to send it out but is afraid of the reaction and the reaction and, and, and what the other two panelists said and what the moderator said and i actually didn't get a chance to respond to it at first was was they said uh look like you just just send it out just send it out you've got to start you've got to start you've got to just get started because if you can't cope with that kind of feedback you are not gonna like if you're that sensitive you're not gonna get through writing you get sort of attacked all the time you're going to get your work slagged off people aren't going to get it you're going to have bad reviews and then you'll start sharing sort of funny bad reviews that were obviously ridiculous you know that were obviously made facile observations on their work and and were without merit and we're kind of laughing about them and like i get what they're saying and i get the sort of I, I, I get the jo- I get the joke and I get how they're saying look and there you know there's a kind of I guess 
fellowship in kind of going, look, we've all had people say that our work's shit and worthless, right? And we can laugh about it and and that should be healthy and okay. You know, like if you are too sensitive to deal with that, then like you need to get a thick skin. I heard that again and again and it sort of goes fairly unchallenged, um, which of course it sort of implies that it should be challenged when I say it like that, but it goes unchallenged. People say... To get into writing, you need to have, develop a thick skin. You need to like be thick-skinned about it. You need to let criticism not bother you. And that sort of... It, that made me feel... I, I felt like that something like about that didn't sit right with me. Um, and the second thing was yesterday I was on twi- Twitter, as you are, as one is. Um, we, we know now that... Um, you know, I've read this great big uh, meta study of about like 23 different uh, studies about looking at the correlation between well-being and time spent online. And all of them show uh, your psychological well-being, key markers of psychological well-being are inversely correlated to uh, to the amount of time you spend online. And yet still I do it. Uh, partly because I'm a dad and I spend a lot of time at home and I want that connection and I love chatting to people and especially like the people that this podcast has put me in touch with you know writers I wouldn't have otherwise known it's it's quite addictive when there's like really nice interesting people out there that I can you know sometimes when I'm on my own in the house it's nice to to connect with people anyway um, the author Fonda Lee I think it was had like done a joke tweet and I see loads of these. I'm not sort of singling her out because I see most authors actually do these kind of tweets. Had done a tweet where it's like, you know, newbie author, you ask them about how's your book going? And they go, oh my God, I've just been writing this bit and this thing's coming up and there's this character who's like this, blah, 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 blah. An author, like a pro author on their 12th book, how's your book going? Oh God, don't ask, give me another drink, right? So that was a tweet. Funny, like completely on the surface of it, like it's a like it's slightly tongue in cheek, and I again something about that didn't sit right with me, and so I want to just address those two things, and then I'm going to quickly go into stuff about the pre-ordering of my book, The Ice House, because like I've said now that I want to get it to one thousand five hundred sales in its first week in the UK to get it onto the Sunday Times bestseller list and I've like properly said that now and um everyone every professional that I mention that to goes really quiet and I think because I've got a history of poor mental health is genuinely worried for me now I feel like when I say that when I've said that to my agent and my editor and when I said it to anyone who works in a bookshop they have reacted like I've said, oh, guy, I've just got some like really cool news for you about my book. I've just had like a conference with the uh, fairies who live at the end of my garden and they're waiting to see if I'm joking and then it dawns on them that I'm not. Um, so that is the level of reality that we're operating in. Um, and there is a very, very big chance I'm going to show my whole ass to the to the world not literally that isn't like a stretch goal don't use the word stretch goal with showing your ass tim that's really really gross imagery um not kink shaming anyone but like the 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 point is what i'm suggesting isn't impossible but it 
would be unprecedented in the history of of British publishing. And yet here we are. And yet here I am doing it because I'm a hopeful person. I'm an optimist at heart. Um, I believe human beings can do great things. And I think they can particularly do great things um, that enrich me personally. But anyway, let me go back to my first things because I want to get... I want to get down to the heart of these two questions, these two statements. One about um, to get into writing, you've got to be thick-skinned. And the other one about once you've sort of been writing for a while, ugh, you start to sort of like hate, you lose all enthusiasm, you start hating your books. And that those have been like jokey tropes. Um, because I think this is important for you to know. And there's lots of people out there who are going to give you writing advice. And uh, you, if you're sort of sceptical that this sort of like um, hairy, uh, mentally ill man sitting in a room alone chatting to you, um, if you're sceptical that what he's going to say is going to be wise, good, you should be sceptical, that's fine. Um, but the reason I want to say this is because I genuinely think a lot of stuff is shared on this kind of like currency of like either legitness or because it's funny. And we don't always examine whether it's true. And I've spoken to a lot of authors. I've thought deeply about this. And I have invested a lot of time and thought into this. And I think that makes my opinion on this worth a hearing. I think it certainly comes from a considered place. You are free to um, take the data I'm giving you, take my uh, reasoning and decide that I've come to a false, false conclusion, but I don't think you can argue that I've come to this arbitrarily or quickly. So first off, why was I, why did I feel uncomfortable? And these were questions I had to ask myself and kind of figure out, why did I feel uncomfortable at this idea? Oh, you can't be too precious about your work. Writers need to have a thick skin. Surely, Tim, in a show called Death of a Thousand Cuts, where you've made your name about being like, not like a dick about people's first pages, but going, look, you need to put this motherfucker through the mincer. You need, you need to put this in a bag with like a, a fucking three hungry wolverines and let it fucking fight it out. And if it comes out alive, okay, like it's, you could, that can then be like put in a breeding pair and we can get the next generation because those are good genes that we want to pass on. There's no, you know, there's no percentage in putting your work forward and just like giving it a pass if it's anemic and um full of hereditary diseases i don't really know why i've gone down a slightly dangerously dangerously close to eugenics uh line with this um also that is not the way you breed things is putting them in bags with wolverines don't do that look, look after your animals um what i'm saying is i've always like said look we've got to be able to look at our own work and separate ourselves from it right this is not about me no critique of my no critique of my work is is like a critique of me um and that is such a dangerous thing when you start identifying with your work when you start going i'm a writer that's my identity um then the moment you're not not writing or the moment your work is threatened um you feel like you're coming apart yourself i've felt that myself and it's it's easy to joke about, but it's not a fucking joke when you're experiencing it. Um, and then, and you know, actually, like, when if you haven't listened to my chat with Nick, the author Nick Harkway, he, like, goes into this, and I was so glad he said it, and start going, we make jokes like this, 
you know, like the kind of like how to write a book. One, come up with an idea. Two, drink lots of wine and cry. Three, go outside and scream at the moon. And he's like, this is kind of like played as a joke, but it's actually not a joke, right? The process is really fucking hard. And he felt like writers need to get together and actually talk. And I was like, Nick, thank God you're saying this. Like, what? why? So here's the thing, right? Here's, but here's what I want to, I don't want to conflate these two issues just to start with why do I have a problem then with saying you need to have a thick skin well because like Jeffrey Archer has a thick skin and he's a cunt right he is a best-selling author he continues to put out work um he I don't think worries whether he's good enough I don't know. Maybe I'm being sort of like inhumane and, you know, I know there's a person in there and I don't really, you know, although it's funny and I've made part of my career sort of demonising people whose political ideology I don't see eye to eye with. um, He always just like comes off as someone who just never would never occur to him that you're not brilliant. Right. I don't want all the books that are written to be written by people who... Uh, but written only by people who um, it would never occur to to question themselves, who haven't had moments of doubt, who haven't had long periods of doubt, who don't sometimes struggle with self-worth. Now, I'm not fetishizing uh, people feeling crappy about themselves or neurosis. I'm totally happy to read books by writers who have a healthy and lively love of their own personhood and think that they are wonderful and love the stories they write. I'm not asking for all our writers to be to suffer with mental health challenges. I'm not saying that all writers should hate themselves and that is some kind of like badge of validity. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if you, I don't want us to keep I don't want people who are sensitive who struggle with their self-image who write something and go I don't know if I could show this to the world because I care about it. And I'm worried it would crush me. I don't want us to start pathologizing their feelings about that as being somehow indicative of their being sort of not the right type of person to be a writer. You know, like, oh, you're not one of our gang. Oh, no, you have to be you have to have like a rhino hide to do this. You have to be thick skin and large souled to be able to do this. You have to basically have the confidence that whatever someone says, your work is good. I worry, I deeply worry that that puts off people. And I want to say to you, this is something I deeply believe and you're, you're free to disagree if you want. And I, I want to say, I don't think that people are saying that about having a thick skin i think they're saying it to protect people i don't think they're saying it going fuck off you sensitive wankers i, I don't think for a moment most people who say it are, are, are suggesting that at all but i worry that what it does is say to anybody who maybe you know maybe you've not had the people in your life who've said to you you are inherently worthwhile like you can't you can't fuck this up. The story might not, you know, your first draft might not work. It might not be a great story. It might not be the story that you wanted it to be. That doesn't have anything to do with you being a good or bad person. It's just something to work on, right? It's exciting. That's the adventure. Oh, you try something and 
it, it doesn't work how you wanted it to. Well, there's like a lesson to learn in that. There's no lesson to learn in perfection. If you just nail it first time, you can, then you just, that's just like you just slept walked through the minefield. You didn't learn anything about where those mines are. You just fluked it. And it's great that you didn't get blown up, but you didn't learn anything. Minefield's a bad example because, like, if you hit a mine, you are basically just like a cloud of steaming mints, right? Like, that's not that that's not really something you can make a series of. Uh, a, 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 it's not something you can incrementally learn from. But what I'm saying is, like, artistic f- failure or are you know are not getting it quite in the middle of the bat which anyone with any self-awareness will realize they don't in a first draft or even a first book right but doing that is is an i don't want to sound like like a cheesy air punching git but it's an opportunity for growth it's part of your journey you know like when we had melissa harrison on the show and she talked about how she felt like right she had a slight antipathy towards writing tips because she felt it was like robbing people of their chance to go through this process of self-learning right and i i don't believe that about writing tips i don't think because writing tips aren't that aren't so useful they just they're not like cheat codes they're they're more like kind of like compass points they're more like hints right but i do think that it's that what we need to be saying is not you need to be thick-skinned. I'm saying, like, there's nothing wrong with, like, being afraid that your work is going to be hated and that's going to be too much for you. I think you'd be surprised how much you can cope with. I think, actually, it's often quite a relief when someone makes a criticism of your work and you go, oh, it's just that, oh, I kind of agree. Oh, it's just the work. Oh, I've... Oh, they they didn't love everything I did. And I'm still alive. And actually, I can see ways to make it better. And it doesn't fucking matter. That is a, that is so liberating. Also, what you quickly find if you do something like a, an MA, like I did at UEA in prose fiction, right? One of the things you find is like I went into those sessions. I can't remember I've talked about this before on the show, but I went into those sessions like really thinking i'm not going to be precious i'm not going to be a knob about this if people say don't do this tim this bit shit cut this i'm going to listen to them and do it i I want to absorb as much criticism as i can and make my stuff better and level up well guess what you quickly find people don't agree some people like this bit and don't like this bit some people like there's there's like debate there like be like clear camps will emerge of people who liked something and didn't like it. Uh, someone will go, I really didn't think this bit worked. And someone else will jump in to like, <laughs> like fully Gandalfing it going, you shall not pass. Don't you fucking cut that's that bit. That was my favorite line. You know, like people throwing themselves, throwing themselves in the path of uh, a, a pair of editing scissors saying you like I don't take that bit out and you realize you can't please everyone well then suddenly you're like in this place of very interesting relativism where it's not all subjective but you're certainly like I have to pick my audience who do I want to please and who am I prepared to say look you know what not all I don't have to write the omni story that is for everyone 
I'm going to write for these people, right? You have to do it. Like, I don't like every book that's out there, and that's right, okay? And I don't write a book that is supposed to stand as the one true narrative for all time, right? I write something that doesn't exist and that's what's important to me and knowing those things and starting to engage with them is fine but it's not that you have to have a thick skin in fact you have to be very sensitive to who to what you want and to be able to feel the story and I would hate it if the most vulnerable writers the most sensitive and writers who maybe you've had like a shitty time in your life, right? Maybe people haven't treated you like you deserve as a wonderful, worthwhile person. I don't want you then to being told this industry isn't for you. Like we made and have made and like stand up. And I know this because I've done the stand up circuit, right? We made it. I've, I know this is an overused word. But we made it toxic with this bullshit work ethic. It was like, you need to be able to go in. A good stand-up should be able to deal with hecklers. And what they mean by hecklers is like fucking drunk men standing up and aggressively threatening you. And guess what it fucking did? It made it really, really unpleasant place to be a woman, um, to be not straight, to be anything but like a white male, cis male uh going up there and saying like fairly you know like basically if you're shy if you've got a stamina if you're anything but someone who is prepared to like go head to head with screaming drunk hecklers i've had people i've had people hold like a stanley knife to my throat i've had someone open a door at the side of the stage and throw meat onto the stage and release dogs i've had someone try to i've had people try to grapple the mic out of my hands i've had people threaten to fight me i've had people fling things at me all dudes. I mean, I've had women bellow abuse at me as well. But there's this expectation, right, that you that that that's the standard, that's the mark. Oh, a good stand-up can deal with any heckler. Well, look, there are loads of female um, stand-ups who are fucking amazing at like taking down hecklers, who could take on anyone, who are brutal, who I'd be terrified to ever like get up to go for a piss while they were on stage and I was in the audience right because I know I'd be annihilated but that is not the standard that I want for like stand-up I want it to be a broader church than that I want us to be able to have gentle people shy people weird people sensitive people I want all of those people to be able to get up on stage because that diversity is strength and that is what's going to make the scene interesting and stale it won't it, it, interesting and not stale won't make it interesting and stale we will stop it making it just about like fucking white guys going on stage and talking about their dicks and like don't knock it it's a career I, i've done that a lot on stage you know why because it's fucking safe because i could because because i've been prepared to wade out into the audience and 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 like try and, and threaten to start fights with people who are heckling me right what a prick why should that be the standard and why should we make that the standard in writing why is that something we should aspire to? Why shouldn't we be saying, and I'm not saying like everyone should like treat each other with kid gloves in the sense of pretending that all books are equally good, but it's like, I know people, I've had people listening to the show message me and say someone, there was like someone who was a dick in a writer's group to me who slagged off my work, who made a bunch of unthinking criticisms of my work. And it stopped me writing for months. It stopped me writing for years in some cases. Those fears, how are people going to react to it? I'm not sure I can share it. I'm not unfounded. 
people get those shitty comments and it puts them off writing. And I think instead of saying you need to have a thick skin, and I realise that's meant to protect people, but at the end of the day, it falls into that class of thing that's just, it just flirts with victim blaming. And I, I, I mean, I, even the word victim is sort of like, it, it's too disempowering. I don't mean that. But what I'm saying is, why aren't we asking, how can we make writing more welcoming? How can we look at the very real fears, especially if you, again, if you are exactly the same thing, if you're not white, middle class, cis male, straight, then writing and this upper middle class bastion, loads of lovely upper middle class white people in publishing, right? But like, if you are not writing something that fits obviously into that world, if your face is, doesn't fit, if you are, like, I come out with stuff in front, I get invited, I get, go and do these meetings. They're often at posh restaurants in London. I'm expected to get the train up on my own dime and, and, and get back to have a meeting. It's just sort of expected that that's something you can do. You can afford the time, right? You go there. I feel very gauche, right? And, and I sort of semi look like I might fit into that thing. There's a culture that people don't realise. And when you're outside it, it's scary. And and, and people, you know, because I hear the reports from people who don't look like me from, you know, like it's invisible, but especially, you know, writers of colour, like people, you know, talking about like horrendous things that people have said to them. And, and, and sort of like the knee-jerk response, it's like, oh my God, well, surely that's a one-off. Well, stop. Hang on. Why am I, why am I so keen to, to dismiss that? Well, it's because I don't want to believe it's true because it's an uncomfortable truth to think that I might, that might be invisible to me and it might be something that other people are suffering every day. And also, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they are sort of relatively in a statistical sense rare, but there's still one is too many, right? And I'm not saying that anyone talking about this, and especially not, you know, especially considering sort of the people who were on the panel with me, I'm not saying they're ignorant of these things at all. I'm not talking about that specific answer and saying, you know, you, you know, be strong. That's quite empowering, right? I'm so, it's like saying, fucking, you're gonna, you're strong enough to deal with this. But I think we need to be looking at ways to go, how can we make going into writing more welcoming how can we have the kind of discussions around you know feedback groups writing groups uh prose mas about the culture of those rooms can we have the same discussions that are happening now say in the world of dungeons and dragons about and tabletop role playing in general and tabletop board game about how we can make the environment around table talk less toxic, less unwelcoming. So women know that they can be in those spaces and not have someone, a dude, patronise them, assume they don't have certain rules, um, tell them how to do their move, make crass sexist jokes so they don't feel comfortable, uh, people being homophobic at the table. How can we make sure that those aren't spaces where that stuff happens so we get more people being able to participate and... and um, join in and for me I think that's what that question sort of triggered is this feeling that we need to do better than just saying people fucking suck it up buttercup that's been going on too long and I think it serves the people like Jeffrey Archer who are already there it says well this is just who don't really face any of that right the toughest people are the people who might give up 
And I don't want them to have to prove themselves through this fucking... I don't want to make them run the gauntlet. I don't think that's a good... I want publishing to be a meritocracy. And to do that, we have to do something about um, how welcoming we're making it. Because at the moment, it's not a meritocracy. And loads of people stop before they get to tell their stories. And this isn't just about what books get published. It's about who feels... They have the right to write in the privacy of their own home. You, you'd you be surprised, but I know because I get your messages. I, I literally, you know, this stuff, I suppose I feel passionate about it because I've had literally hundreds of emails from listeners. And, I, and you get this cumulative story of different people. And it means a lot to me. And it's important to me, right, that people from like a comment in a writing group, they then don't write in private for years. They lot they this thing that brings me so much joy, so much meaning that's helped to teach me about myself. That's been, you know, that all of my friends that I have now, all of my inner circle of friends are people I've met through writing, and they are the loveliest, most wonderful, most generous, most brilliant group of friends I could ever ask for. I really, really really have fallen on my feet with the people I find myself surrounded by just lovely people um I only met them because of through my writing and the arts you know what I do I met my wife through doing my writing she read my book that's how we met and so therefore that's how I have my daughter and people are being denied that because someone's like Someone's being like a haughty prick. I might have even been that haughty prick in a writing group and not realised it. And I think it's important that, like, my being able to go on doing that, like, in, in blissful ignorance, is and just telling other people you need to fucking, you need to get a thick skin, is much less important than us working to make those spaces Better incubators for talent and joy. And the second thing about the this comment about writers, oh, you know, uh, uh, you know, a newbie writer. Oh, I'm really excited about my book. Uh, pro writer after ten books. Oh God, don't ask me about my book. I just don't want us to normalise as a sort of badge of legitimacy this idea that writing is a grind and a slog. I think if you listen back to the episodes I've done with different authors, you will see that that is not an uncommon experience to find parts of writing difficult. But it's also true that there are plenty of writers I speak to who go, I love writing. And that, you know, it's not it doesn't make your work a better quality to struggle uh, and be miserable. And I think I want to just point that out because I'm worried as a writing industry and as authors in general, we normalise feeling like shit, burning ourselves out, treating ourselves badly, not taking care of each other and doing self-care. Just crap working standards, making stress something that you should be feeling if you're a real writer. You should. It should be miserable. Ha 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 ha! Isn't it a, a joke? We kind of like take this, sand the edges off a bit by saying it's a joke. Um, and, and and like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the only message writers should be putting out is going, 
Oh, I'm loving my writing. It's brilliant. And so everyone who's struggling feels deeply lonely. I know that there can be something therapeutic and go, I'm having a shit time with my writing. And so other people go, oh, thank God. I'm so glad that you, I, I thought it was just me. Oh, that means, it can mean a huge amount to see a writer that you respect, that you admire, who has some success saying, you know, some days I fucking think I'm not going to finish this book. Like, shoot, I, I understand that. But if writing for a lot of writers is consistently this hellish forced march, can we have a discussion about that? And go, is this inevitable? Because I feel like that's what I've been trying to do on the podcast a lot. And if I sound evangelical about it, it's because I've had these moments where I've realised, you know, speaking to... I've just gone... Do you think maybe a, if not all of us authors are just going, I guess this is just a lot. Then I've been speaking to psychologists. I've been speaking to neuroscientists. I'm going, is this inevitable? Oh, everyone says that you can... That all writers are going to procrastinate horribly. I'll just speak to this guy who's been, like, researching procrastination for 20 years. Is procrastination inevitable? He says, no. Here's a bunch of studies. Here's some data. Do you think maybe we should listen to him? Or should we just continue having this kind of jokey conversation with ourselves and never reaching out to each other and going... Because I find myself on Twitter now, like, seeing writers talk about this thing, and I want to reach out and say, are you okay? Are you all right? Is this a cry for help or is this like a performative joke or is it both? Because I don't, I know, I like The Ice House took me four years to write. I fucking love that book now. I'm so psyched. It just does everything I wanted it to. I It just, it, it is absolutely the most self-indulgent in the best way book. It just has everything I wanted to put into it. I just wanted to write a book that didn't exist and just has loads of cool stuff in it. It has so much that when I talk about it, people think I'm having a manic episode because I'm like going, okay, so there's there's an old, old lady who's pulled out of retirement for one last job. There's like sentient beetles. There's like a dungeon crawl. There's, um, I don't want to put in too many spoilers, but like there's uh, immortals with superpowers. There are uh, mutant bats. There are uh, battle nuns having like martial arts fights on icy bridges at the top of mountains. There's like a murder mystery. There's a locked room murder mystery. There is angels. There's, you know, like it sounds, I sound like there's the end of the world coming. There are premonitions. There's madness. There's stuff over multiple decades and centuries there's courtly intrigue uh it it and that's not even like scratching the surface of how much stuff that there is underground rivers the treks through jungles like it's everything and i loved writing so many bits and then i started to sort of doubt myself and i got myself into this terrible pickle and that was not inevitable and it took work to get through and I had the support of wonderful friends and I had the support of professionals as well, including like therapists, but also, you know, my agent and editor. But a lot of it was getting out of my own way and a lot of it was like rediscovering the joy. That angst was not part an a necessary component of the process. Um, and now I'm working on and now I've spoken to authors. Now I've worked through some of those emotional issues. Now I've allowing myself to be kind to myself. You know, what I find now is that writing is easier. M might not be any better, but I'm writing more. 
I think in terms of writing more, I'm getting more training. And so therefore it will ultimately be better when I can edit stuff. Um, and I'm much happier, much happier. In fact, I'm back to where I was when I was a kid, you know, writing and experiencing that kind of fierce joy. And I don't want us to sell this, this shit bag of a writing existence that what you do as a writer is you is your your sort of like price for the golden ticket into the li writing lifestyle of going oh here's a cover reveal we you have to pay for that with like hours and days and weeks and months and years of misery because that's your fucking life that's going by by the way while you're doing all that that's your life is sitting in a room on your own being miserable being unhappy, thinking maybe I should stop doing this, being gen genuinely miserable and scared and thinking I can't do this anymore. I don't think I can pay the bills. I don't think I'm going to be able to support my family. Like I've got, I've, you know, I've got a daughter. Like I don't want to be going through being miserable, being not able to be present for my family because that's what a writer does. Fuck that. You are worth so much more than that. So I think as authors, we've got to be so careful not to normalise this state of affairs where we're going, oh, God, and being jaded. And we need to be, look, if that is not happening, we need to have a discussion about it, a grown-up discussion and going, don't we have a right to joy and fulfilment and exploration and excitement? Aren't you worth that? And I don't, I'm not selling you anything here. I'm not selling you a bill of goods. I don't have a sort of lifestyle package to, to sell you on here. I'm just saying, if writing isn't doing that for you, for me, there are two sort of rational courses. Uh, and one of them is to, is to not do writing because it is manifestly not serving you. And find something that does make you feel happy and fulfilled and gives you personal growth and meaning in your life. Either do that. Or look at how you're writing, the assumptions that you're bringing to, ta to the table, your daily practice, the things you're doing to support your writing, and ask yourself, is there any, are there improvements that I could make? Are there, because I think there, there are, you know, that's what I'm going to, that's my, I think, fairly uncontroversial assertion is if you are, is writing is making you miserable, I think there are normally a few simple steps you can take to improve your experience without suddenly turning your writing to pure steaming glass dust filled horseshit. I think you can do that. I believe it. And, I, and I've lived it. And I know I'm only one example, right? Maybe there are some hopeless cases out there. But I think what there likely are is there are different cases with slightly different solutions. Um, but you know, through the work I've been doing with the Couch to 80K Writing Bootcamp, I've seen how it's changed people's assumptions. They're baked in but untested assumptions about what they can and can't do with writing and how writing should feel and uh, their own experience of going through it and how empowered they are with that. And, you know, I'll say if you haven't tried the Couch to 80K Writing Bootcamp, um, then that is still available. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. If you have done it or it's that's a bit too much commitment, um, you can sign up to my weekly writing workout, a 10-minute uh, writing exercise in your inbox. I think every Friday um, it's completely free. I'll put a link to that. Just give me your email address and you'll get it sent out to you. Uh, it's not a scam. That's It's not, I won't, it, it, there's no like premium level to that. It's just something I enjoy doing. And um, people have been getting back to me and, but you know, people have been producing whole, 
sort of beginnings to novels off the back of that. But some people have also just been doing it and having fun. And I want to, I you know, I want to give you that because like working through this and doing this stuff with listeners forces me to think about my own assumptions. And it is, it's, cha- it's changing my life. Um, it's made me so much happier. And it takes me back to some fundamentals. And it's been so inspiring, actually, to see those of you who've... I did an episode called... Um, I think it's called, like, Seven Things to Help Your Writing That Aren't Writing. And um, people who've sent me, like, pictures of their wall calendars uh, with, like, their days of writing marked on their wall calendars and their days of meditation. Oh, my heart just swells with pride. I am so, 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 uh, so fucking proud of you. Um, It's, oh my God, it made me feel absolutely amazing. I was just like, this is cool. Um, I think, let's have a, who who, who was it? Someone sent me one today. Um, Oh, yeah. So, um, Adam, I just want to say, I he sent me this his amazing Moomin wall calendar with all his days that he'd done a bit of writing and days that he'd had a meditate marked on it. And I was just like, that's so inspiring. And actually, having read that, I then went and did a load of stuff that I've been putting off because I was like, yeah, I'm, this is the thing. It's not me just being proud because I'm like, oh, this is my legacy. I'm like fucking Tony Blair looking to implant policies that I'll be remembered for. I'm like, look, like... It inspires me. I'm like, this is doable. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is what I believe. I'm going to apply it myself. It makes me excited. And I love hearing from you guys. And I love seeing, you know, even when I, you know, haven't done some bit of writing myself, I'm like, oh, it's possible. It's possible. And that's all we need to believe at the end of the day. It's not that it's going to happen. That's how I feel about getting these 1,500 pre-sales. Is it likely? I don't know. Is it impossible? No. So therefore, it's possible. That's interesting, right? And there's opportunities and there's problem solving that are unlocked. Can you write something? You know, I, I think it's possible. I think it's, I, it could you enjoy writing. It is possible. I think that's exciting. That's a place of abundance and growth. So anyway, before I, I, I get off track, I just want to make sure I've got time to say um, thank you to all of you who have pre-ordered The Ice House. Uh, Mr. B's Emporium, uh, who are an indie bookshop in Bath, have got in touch with me to say that there's been just over 50 uh, pre-orders that they've had. Now, I've said that I'll sign every book that they uh, ha- that, that uh, pre- is pre-ordered there before it gets sent out. I've just seen the final cover and it looks fucking cool. It has something that they've done to it that I didn't realise they were going to do. So it looks better than the pictures I've been sending out. It's it's really chill it's like i know like no all they're gonna i'm not gonna come on here like trying to persuade you to, to buy it and go i just want to say like the, the the cover looks like ass like like the content's good but the cover looks like a big dead dick it looks great right i, I i'm not a credible advocate but just trust me i'm super excited what i'm doing is i'm sort of mortgaging my credibility because you'll see it later on and you'll be able to make a decision about that yourself, but you'll go, oh, Tim wasn't lying. And therefore it will kind of like increase my my believability later on when I'm talking about things. But what I'm saying is thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who's pre-ordered. If the Mr. B's get to 100 pre-orders, then I'm going to produce some new 
content for the book and put that in with each copy that gets sent out. Um, I think I'm going to have a Norwich launch, definitely. I'm looking at the moment about the possibility of doing a launch in a launch in London as well. Um, we'll have to see about the viability of that, whether people will actually come to it. Um, but I'm looking now for ways to continue um, to push pre-orders. I want to say thank you very much to Patrick, who says, um, just pre-ordered the Ice House from Mr. B's at a distance of 17,083 kilometres from Mr. B's. I'm in Newcastle, Australia. I don't think I'll be able to get down to the store to pick it up on launch day. Hopefully I can avoid the spoilers during the shipping period. Send out the call. 17,083 kilometres is the number to beat for the title of most distant fan. Well, interestingly, I did share that and it has been beaten by um, by Zoe, who is in. She said just wanted to beat the farthest away winner pre-ordered from New Zealand, Um, (laughs) which seems a bit shitty in terms of um, stealing Patrick's crown. But it doesn't because Patrick, having done that, um, is what inspired Zoe to do hers so now the furthest away pre-order from mr peace is in new zealand right um another so also there is a so uh originally um the listener bobby uh pre-ordered two copies and said and 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 then somebody having heard that somebody instead of pre-ordering just one pre-ordered two said i'm throwing the gauntlet down i'm gonna pre-order three and i thought well no one's gonna more pre-order more than three so colin has said just ordered four challenge incremented to five so colin thank you for a start you absolute lovely guy has pre-ordered four copies of the ice house right so if anyone wants to beat that the current challenge is if anyone wants to pre-order five copies of the ice house the current biggest furthest away that someone's pre-ordered is New Zealand and the most number that someone's pre-ordered is four copies of the book. We have to get to 1,500 in order for this book to enter um, in the Sunday Times uh, hardback uh, fiction bestseller list on um, the week of its release because all pre-sales are counted as first week sales. Uh, Now, I thought I would try and do some offer some extra things for listeners because i really really oh by the way and yet so, so somebody else then got in, in touch and said um and someone else got in touch and said look uh hey like i you know i i would like to give you some um, and the listener is um matt has said uh you know i work in marketing send me over some details of your book and, and we'll look at ways that we might be able to think of some ingenious ways of promoting your book right um maybe maybe it's possible we like a challenge in our brief he said um maybe it's possible that we could look at ways of getting you that 1500 pre-sales so i've sent him a load of data and he's going to look at it but thank you matt if there's anyone out there who's got any contacts any like crazy ideas for marketing um any ways that we might promote the book any ways that you think we could convince people to do pre-sales of uh, the book any way at all that we could start adding to this number 
um then do get in touch because i'd love 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 to hear from you thank you so much to faye who uh, has um pre-ordered a copy i really appreciate it thank you for being such a loyal awesome fan thank you to um laurie who says in case you're keeping tally you can add one at daunt books in notting hill and yes i only bloody went in and asked them in person thank you and what a incredibly that might be our record for poshest bookshop that it's been um pre-ordered in uh it, i'm just really really grateful i want to say thank you to um adam as well for pre-ordering i really appreciate it um i want to say thank you to ed as well who's pre-ordered um have now created a hive account and pre-ordered ice house so hive in the uk is somewhere where you can go and pre-order books and they get uh sort of credited to your local uh to your local um indie bookstore i really really appreciate it thank you to olivia who got in touch and said that she's ordered the honors and she's pre-ordered the ice house thank you thank you thank you so much i'm like it i of course it sound it might sound like slightly self-serving for me to do all these thank yous and, and certainly not that and intrinsically entertaining um because i'm getting paid for it right but like these, but these are genuinely. So that's why I'm saying thank you, right? Because it allows me to keep a roof over my head, feed my daughter, and continue writing. It's like one of the most meaningful gestures people can make. I don't want to imply that only people with money are people that I feel gratitude to. Anyone who downloads the podcast, anyone who shares it to other people, anyone who talks about my work or has shared like links to people um, who might want be interested in in the Ice House, I really, 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 really appreciate it, and it means. It just means I can do the thing I love, right? So that's why I'm grateful. It's not insincere at all. Imaginary person disagreeing with me. Imaginary sceptic in my head. Um, But what I want to say uh, is... I've been thinking about some stretch goals, some ways that I can try and push it forward, the way, some ways I can try and make it worthwhile for everyone. Um, And what I will say is this. Um, I'll try and kind of keep... Uh, tally of the amount of uh, pre-orders we're getting i'm sort of in touch with my publishers um i'm going to drop a line to wordery to see if i can do some promotions with them to encourage people to pre-order i'll speak to mr bees and they're going to keep me updated hopefully with them we can get to the magic 100 and i can produce some uh extra content to go in there but this is what i'm going to say look if you have a writing group if you just have a bunch of you who uh uh, write together a bunch of you who are, are writers um if you're just a bunch of randos who want to do this um any group who pre-order 10 copies at least 10 copies of the ice house uh wherever you are and from wherever just as long as you sort of send me something saying you've done it um any group who pre-order 10 copies i am really happy to in exchange as well as you getting 10 copies of a book of first editions of the book that I've worked so hard on um I'm really happy to do like a half hour with your book group over Skype so whether it's you want to all read it and then ask some questions to the author I can Skype in and we can have a live chat about it or maybe if you're in a writing group and you're all writers I could go and Skype in and give you a half hour workshop um on whatever subject you want but probably you know something to do with creating worlds or writing or starting or whatever um if you do at least 10 pre-orders i would love to do that for you 
any bookshop or group who can do me 50 pre-orders, which is a huge number, um, then as long as you're in the UK, I will travel out to you on a mutually convenient night and I can do a reading and I can do a night of uh, performing or workshops or whatever for you. I'm really, really happy to do that. What I will say is if we get to, let's like lowball it, if we get to 500 confirmed pre-orders um, across the board, then I'm going to put together a a sort of PDF, like a special thing with, I'm guessing like around sort of circa 10,000 words um, ebook of like extra content. Uh, I know what bit it's going to be, but um, from the world of the honours and the ice house, and that will be available with a sort of that'll be all, and then I'll upload that uh, on a like a passworded file, and anyone who's pre-ordered, everyone who's pre-ordered, uh, no matter where and when you pre-ordered, can um, get in touch to get that password from me, and. Um, and you'll be able to download that extra sort of like 10,000 word uh, novelette um, as, as something to, as a kind of stretch goal to push you forward. I realise 500 pre-orders is a huge number, um, but I just really, really, really believe in this book. And I, like, I, when I talk to people in the publishing industry, and I saw <laughs> it's true, when I said to my agent... Uh, but I'll have a word with like the people on the podcast, <laughs> with my podcast listeners. It what I did like from the expression on their face, and after it left my lips, it did sound a little bit like, yeah, like I'm just gonna go and have a little conference with my like neighbours' garden gnomes. They got my back, but like life is short and. Image management is for dweebs and hope is what lets us push through and do things we did like, like, you know, stuff that seems like it's impossible is just, that's just a matter of perception sometimes. Not always. And I don't want to sort of like downplay real barriers that we need to work to like lift other people up. But there's just some perceptions about what can and can't be done that I mean to challenge, and this is one of them. So if you'd like to support the podcast, if what I do here leaves you feeling happier, if you're moved by it, then please pre-order The Ice House. There's links in the show notes. There's links on my website, Tim Clare Poet, or you can just put The Ice House, Tim Clare, into Google. Click, you know, do it sooner rather than later, please, because the earlier people pre-order, the more feedback gets to booksellers, gets to my publishers. They start making larger orders. They get a sense that something's happening. Um, people in the media then get to see pre-sales data and then they're more likely to review it. They're more likely to invite me to do an interview. They're more likely to get me on their show. All of it starts creating a momentum all of its own. So the earlier you can do that, if you can do that, if you're interested in doing it, if you think you'd like to read the book, um then and and if you're moved by anything i'd say then i'm sort of asking you from the bottom of my heart if you could after you've listened to this just go and click something or stop it now and go and click it and do it and pre-order or go into your local shop and say hey can i pre-order a copy of the ice house by tim clare or phone them up 
that is going to make a huge difference to me. If you've already done that or if you haven't got the, the money to do that, then other ways you can help are just like sharing links to pre-order on social media and explaining to people why you think it's worthwhile that people do this. You know, sharing this podcast, um, talking to people about it. Uh, if there's any other way, like non-monetary ways that you might be able to... Um, help me out if you want to. I'm not asking any artists to work for free. I'm not asking for any professionals to work for free. Please don't think it's only if you would enjoy doing this or there's something you'd like to contribute. I'm not sort of soliciting anything from anyone who, you know, I think uh, people who do, you know, like I'd love to be able to at some stage, uh, I think, and I think I will, if the pre-orders get high enough, if I got to a thousand pre-orders, in fact, let's commit now. If I get to a thousand pre-orders, I will pay, I will commission an artist to do some exclusive pre-order artwork for the honors because i think there's loads of stuff in there that i'm just like in love with in terms of i would love to see some fan art for but i will pay someone to do that and i'll get that printed and every copy that goes out every pre-order copy will get um some exclusive art in with it uh you know, that's a, a long stretch goal, but hopefully then those of you who have pre-ordered already, that's a little bit of motivation to spread the word, to tell people why you've done it and why you think this book's going to be cool. Um, you know, I this is a grift, right? I totally, totally acknowledge that. I'm not going to pretend it's not because it, like you're smart enough to know that it is. But um, it's also an interesting experiment, right? Because if we can do this, we can do this with loads of things. And I do try and promote other people's books. I do try and lift up other authors. I do love stories and so i hope you don't think that i'm too much of a sleazy knob doing this right i think that's just about everything i wanted to say yeah and so if there's anything if you've got any suggestions at all any help you can offer anything a, a venue that we might do like a launch some marketing ideas maybe you've got a contact someone who works at a paper maybe you sort of know half know someone famous who you think you might be able to slip the book to or get to retweet it anything like that i'm saying to you please get in touch you can go on my website timclairpart.co.uk click the contact me button get in touch dm me on twitter message me through my facebook page my author facebook page i would love to hear from you let's see if we can make this crazy caper work and i am going to be working my derriere off trying to get this book i won't be talking about it to this extent on every episode by the way because that would completely alienate you that's why i've kind of hived this off here i've got some great author interviews coming up i've got some great episodes where i'm going to be doing first page critiques um i've got so much exciting stuff come up that i'm really really thrilled about i've got some live shows coming up that i'm can't talk about yet because they're all under embargo but i'll get to talk about um hopefully soon um there's loads of stuff that's exciting that i want to talk about but for now Do your old mate Timmy C a big favour. And also you're going to get a chill book and you're going to be part of this phenomenon. Probably I'm going to faceplant and um, show my bottom to the world, but I'm, I'm cool with that. Life's too short to be embarrassed about these things. I love you dearly. Thank you for putting up with me through this long slog. Remember the takeaways from this episode. You do not have to have a thick skin to get into writing. Sensitive people shy people people who aren't sure whether their writing's any good welcome 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 
You have every right to be here. You have every right to create. You have every right to put stuff out into the world. We need you. The arts is dominated by people who desperate for attention, who are very, 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 very confident. We need some balance. We need new stories by shy, good people. And writing doesn't have to be miserable. Pro-authors who are listening now, my friend, you can you can rediscover that childlike joy. It's there. It never left you. It's a book sitting up on a high shelf and all you need do is take it down. It's always been there. It's there for you now. Righty, right. Have a lovely writing week and I'll see you soon.